this is basically built up originally with the concept of we are going to do a project that's going to fit Kickstarter, going to be something that fans want. Um, had he created this as a pitch and shopped it around to other publishers, he's pretty sure most of them would say no, just because they see it as this retro or this classic game and not as this huge, massive game, number one, number two, because they may think that, oh, you know, that style fits Capcom and that's it. No other publisher would ever want to go down that road. By now you are assuredly aware that Keiji Inafune, the creator of Mega Man and used to be a head honcho at Capcom, has had a wildly successful Kickstarter for Mighty Number no. 9, a spiritual successor to Mega Man. We had a chance to talk about that, what Capcom might think about it, and the future of perhaps Japanese game development as it relates to Kickstarter in a, in a conversation at PAX. And as with any Inafune interview, he starts it off on a very colorful note, uh, so rather than teasing what that is, I will just go ahead and toss to our conversation at PAX. Enjoy. Okay. Filming on the set. <laughs> Filming on the Everyone set. very quiet. Shut up. Stop moving. <laughs> um, I guess I would just start with how, how are you feeling now that this is all out in the open and you're actually talking about it as opposed to it being all top secret? Um, this can be a very Japanese analogy, um, but he's like, you know, we've been working on this for about four months, top secret, and it's something that we really believed in, and we were excited about it as we were creating it. So, you know, just trying to keep that excitement in for so long was tough, and to finally be able to just let it out in the open. And of course, we were nervous what sort of reaction would get. Would we announce it and just everything like quiet, or would we announce that people just go apeshit? And they went apeshit. And so it was great to see that reaction. It, I guess if I was going to make an analogy, I would say it's, it's like being constipated for a long time and finally being able to go to the bathroom. You know, just, just letting it all out. This is not a Ben Judd translation. This no, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I have to double check the translation. No, <laughs> um, he's like. He's like. I didn't say that. <laughs> had you had you thought through the nightmare scenario if you announced it and people weren't interested? Like, was that even something you considered? いろんな最悪なシナリオっていうのがあるんだけど、一切考えないように。ネガティブなことは考えない。どっちかというと、常にポジティブに… It's, it's very rare for a Japanese person to think this way, but in this case, um, you know, he's like, I, it wasn't even a thought that it would not be super popular. Um, I don't think about bad things in general for my entire life, uh, because if you think about negative things, it limits what you can do and you get worried for things that may or may not happen, and there's 8,000 different scenarios of how something could possibly go wrong. So it's better to, if something goes wrong, then to come up with a solution set when it goes wrong, but then to keep all your, your spirit and your mind and your hope continually going positive. So for this project, uh, I felt, you know, nope, I'm only thinking about the positive things, and it's certainly going to work out. 
have you given uh, any thought to what Capcom might think about all this? Capcom is Capcom. I am me. And so I continue to focus on what I want to do. Trying to think about what they want to do because they're a totally different entity. Um, I can say this, uh, you know, obviously uh, supporting the fans is something that every publisher needs to do. Um, and in my heart of hearts as a fan, I secretly had hoped that they would support their fans more. Um, that's great for them to do that. Uh, but whenever you don't support fans, and this has nothing to do with necessarily Capcom, this is a general human nature thing that occurs. Uh, Whenever you don't support the fans and another option comes up that is supporting what they want, then they're naturally going to gravitate to that. And I've always been someone that's cared about the fans and always tried to give them what I thought was very important. So for me, I'm not changing my path. I'm not deviating from that at all. I continue to want to do what I think the fans are going to be happy about. Do you think it'll be strange if down the road Capcom chooses to make another Mega Man game? Is that something that would make you uncomfortable, or would you be excited to see what someone else brought to, to an old creation of yours? Yeah, Capcom, Mega Man's a great franchise, and so Capcom should, by all means, make more Mega Man games. Um, you know, as a publisher and for the fact that it, it supports what the fans want. Um, so by that rationale, definitely I'd love to see more. Um, the thing is that what he's making with Mighty Number no. 9 is it is a, whether you want to use the term classic, 2D side-scrolling game, whether you want to say Mega Man Lake, whatever, but in the end, Mario, Metroid, uh, Mega Man, they're all 2D side-scrolling games. And so it's a very big genre, it's a very big space, and you can do lots of different styles and lots of different types of games. And I think that the fan uh, need and desire to play these sort of games is still very strong. The game industry doesn't need to be flooded with only AAA, you know, huge budgeted games. This sort of style of game certainly has its place. Um, and if you're a publisher and you're building a lineup, you definitely should be building up something that has its big tier, high level AAA titles, but also has these smaller games that sort of uh, fit with what the fans sort of nostalgia uh, requires out of, out of games. So um, having a healthy lineup like that is just smart and that's one of his philosophies when he builds out games is he wants to do social games, he wants to do AAA games, he wants to do smaller games, he wants to do Kickstarter games, he wants to just do a wide variety, a wide lineup of uh, content for games, for games, for fans, sorry. How, how aware is Japan of Kickstarter? It's become much more popular in America, but what is the perception of, of Kickstarter in, in Japan? So Kickstarter is, is pretty much an unknown quality in, uh, quantity in Japan right now. Very few people know of it. Um, even if the name is known, they don't know exactly what it is. Um, so really with this with this project, he, he had two main goals in mind. One goal is, of course, to be able to interact with the users and 
and create what he considers the most pure form of creating content, which is the creator interacting directly with the consumer or the gamer and then creating something that's unique and well-balanced that both sides really appreciate. Uh, but the other goal, definitely, is to try and raise awareness for what Kickstarter and crowd crowdfunding potentially does, which is allow creators freedom, independence, and to be able to work directly with the backers uh, and the gamers um, hopefully to the Japanese gaming industry so that you see more and more of these uh, smaller or even big name developers go out on their own and try and do this. Um, so he's really looking forward to see what sort of reaction and to see if we can't get more Japanese gamers involved in donating and, and funding rather uh, these projects because definitely there's a place uh, for these Japanese consumers to be able to fund the people that they've loved and the games that they, the content that they love. What is, what is the scope of the team for, for, for this project versus, let's say, some, some of the classic Mega Man games you've worked on in the past? So if you look at like what original Mega Man team size was, about six people. Um, and what we're shooting for, at least the quality bar that we want to aim for with this title, is something that is you know cutting edge, high high level of graphic fidelity uh, for the game itself. Um, however, it really largely with the Kickstarter depends on the stretch goals because you basically are guaranteeing support for different platforms and the specs that those platforms entail. So it's not. It's not something where I can just throw out a number right now at this point because if we hit our 2.5 million console stretch goals, then we're definitely going to have to have different members on the team and have different uh, functionality um, based on what platform that we're building out each title for. Um, is this is this a game you have thought about in the past that you have pitched in the past, or was this all something brand new when you settled on on using Kickstarter as as a means of getting funding? Yeah, so um, this is basically built up originally with the concept of we are going to do a project that's going to fit Kickstarter, going to be something that fans want. Um, had he created this as a pitch and shopped it around to other publishers, he's pretty sure most of them would say no, just because they see it as this retro or this classic game and not as this huge, massive game. Number one, number two, because they may think that, oh, you know, that style fits Capcom and that's it. No other publisher would ever want to go down that road. Um, so as soon as he first said, okay, we're going to do Kickstarter, then it was, it needs to be about the fans, what they want. And then after that, it was, okay, how can I put my essence, my core into this, into this project to make something that's original and cool? Where, where did the idea for, for going to Kickstarter come from? Because I have to imagine you maybe explored some other options, but how did you, how did you end up landing on Kickstarter? キックスターターはやっぱりユーザーと一番近いんで、えっと、ユーと例えばね、パブリッシャーからお金もらってこんなゲーム作りたいって言ってもそれがユーザーが求めてるものかどうかっていうのは出してみたいな。This um, largely came from like looking at all the options and which one would allow us to interface with the fans and get their feedback the quickest and just sort of create that peer connection between fan uh, and creator. And if you think about if you borrowed a million dollars from a publisher, or they paid you a million dollars to make a game, or you borrowed a million dollars from a bank, or you get a million dollars from a Kickstarter, all of them come with strings that are attached. But of the three options, the one that allows you to get a direct feel for what the 
fan wants, for what the gamer wants. And you as a creator can define that match and sync and make something really great that both sides are happy about. The only one of these three options that provides that is Kickstarter. Because if a publisher gives it to you, there's going to be lots of strings attached and they're going to say, it needs to be this, that, or the other thing. There needs to be rules that need to be followed. And you're kind of like shooting blindly in the dark, hoping you can find something that the fans want. And you don't really know if they want it or not. You know if the publisher wants you to make it. Same thing with the bank. There's lots of strings that come attached. They're going to say it needs to be this, that, or the other thing. Um, you need to re return the money by a certain time. There's all these other things that come with it, but with Kickstarter, you really are directly interfacing with the fans, and that allows you to make something that is very pure and cool and what everybody wants. Have you had a chance to walk around PAX at all and, and play any games? Is there is there anything that you've noticed that was particularly interesting? PAX is the yeah, actually, this is the first time he's ever been at PAX. And unfortunately, with all the interviews and the announcement and all the press, he really only got like less than an hour to walk around the actual uh, convention center itself. Um, but the one thing that he definitely picked up on was this the, the more independent developer vibe, the smaller developer vibe. And, you know, of course, the bigger publishers represented here as well. But if you wanted to see that, you see it at Gamescom, you can see it at, e, at uh, E3, but being able to actually interface with the smaller developers, um, that's only something you can really do here, like at PAX. And so that's, I think, the value that this has in the event. I think it's really cool to be able to see that for the first time here. Um, and obviously, for something like Kickstarter, this is the perfect venue for it. This is what Kickstarter is all about, is supporting these smaller developers to make their dreams come true. Um, and so it's great to be able to bring a project like that uh, to an event like this. So what's the next step now? You've launched it. Are you just going to sit there and keep refreshing the page and watching the numbers <laughs> go up? So, so what do you what do you what do you do now? So ne, kore ano mada startu kitta bakari de, eto, tatoeba, yowa startu dekiru goalu ni tasse shita kara toitte, zenbe goal dewa nakute, kore kara tsukutte ikku tte iu. Yeah, obviously launching it's a, a big deal. Um, and even if we uh, are able to achieve our first goal, it certainly doesn't end there. There are there's additional content to think about, to plan about, etc. But the biggest key piece from here on out that we really need to focus on is when we go back uh, to Japan, if we are able to raise the money to make the game, um, trying to build on infrastructure that really does allow us to work with the fans to make sure that we're getting their feedback, to make sure that we're able to build out the game and that there's not going to be delays or anything, trying to to find that balance between making sure everyone who has supported this feels connected, but we're also able to be on progress and on target and make the game the way that we always know we've been able to. So finding that balance, creating that network is going to be something we need to spend time on. Thank you. Thank you.